Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to businesses to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we will be talking with April and Anne of Forthright People. And Forthright People is a on-demand branding and marketing business. They're basically a small, tiny, creative, I don't even want to use the word agency because they've actually come, April came from the agency setting and Anne came from the larger P&G corporate setting on the marketing side. And now they have teamed up and are just creating a female powerhouse of marketing and branding and helping consult businesses and startups with all of their collective experience of 35 years plus. I feel like I just listened to a foreign language because this is ter- <laughs> this is totally not my realm. The this tables is- have turned, Patrick. <laughs> the tables have turned. How does it feel? <laughs> this is totally Ali's realm, so I'm excited to explore it. Um, yes. Because, you know, I did hear this fact. So, allegedly, Cincinnati has more marketing and, like, brand agencies per yeah. capita than any other city in the world. And I guess, like, you know, it doesn't sound outlandish, right? Like, we have, no. like, big companies like Procter & Gamble, Kroger, Macy's, and... And, uh, you know, we also the have of the world, Kellogg's, you yeah, know, yeah. right. We have all these big consumer brands and flavoring companies as well. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, it makes sense that that would be a, a real legit statistic. So I'm just going to, I'm going to die on that hill and I'm going to say we are. <laughs> yeah. The market, oh man, the marketing and the agency side is so fun. And I know that's kind of what got me into it is the creative strategy. What is your brand message? What are you trying to get people to think and feel about your brand? And between April and Anne, they have a lot of expertise in this. And they're also taking a unique approach approach in the sense of stepping away from the larger corporate settings, how are they then reestablishing their people, so to speak, because they're they're the anchor and they're also kind of outsourcing, working with more freelancers to produce the content building websites that they need for their clients. And I think that just indicates and shows the change of the marketing world and the industry that we're in now. And we're going to hear all about it. No, I'm super excited. So let's bring them in. Let's do it. Patrick, as you know, uh, April and Anne are are these two very robust marketing gurus, I like to say. And you two have a very strong portfolio. So I'd love to start off just by you two both briefly setting the scene of your backgrounds and how forthright people came to be. Happy to go first. So Anne and I like to say that we are a duo from opposite sides of the fence. So Mm. what that means is I started my career and lived my whole career on the agency side of things. And Anne is a 20-year P&G vet. So I won't Mm. speak to her background more than that. I will let her do her own take on that. (laughs) But the important part about that is that I was very skeptical to partner with Anne because let's just say I didn't always have the best experience working on P&G business. So from the agency side, we often considered it to be a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. And it is very good from like a pedigree standpoint to be able to say that you worked on that business. But the problem that us creatively inclined folks often have is we don't like to be told what to do. 
Yes, we don't and like authority. So, <laughs> yes. And so if you think about Proctor, you can understand where that rub might exist. And for me, I was at the point in my career where I had worked about 12 years at various agencies. I was on my own. I had run kind of a mini agency model, if you will. And so that means picking up a lot of freelancers, being the person to lead my own business and all of the businesses, being the one point of contact so that folks had someone to manage it for them, but not at the level or expense or with the, you know, belabored politics, timing, whatever that you might get from an agency. And so the year that I met Anne, I was, I had made the vow that I would meet with anyone that year because I was trying to find what my next step as an independent was going to be. And so I went kicking and screaming. We met like... (laughs) Through friends of friends, Anne always says, what is it, five degrees of Kevin yeah, Bacon? It's a five degrees of Kevin Bacon. That's how we yeah. met. Yeah. So I went, and three hours later, we were still chatting. And so that was really the foundational moment, I think, where we realized very early on that we had something special, that we were aligned from like a moral and just what we wanted to do from a business perspective coming out of these large agencies or on Anside P&G. And then we wanted to make a difference for clients that we weren't able to reach at those points in our career because, you know, at an agency or at P&G, right, you're always working for the big guys. And so we had a strong desire to do more than that. Uh, we were both doing it independently, but together we could offer a lot more than that. And so that was really the initial seedling, I guess, of fourth rate people. And what we've grown that into is an on-demand offering that allows us to meet any company where they are in their life cycle and produce really great work that's cost effective, but doesn't sacrifice experience and expertise. And that really brings everything together in a way that they understand because whether they come from agency or corporate, we can cover it all. Since you, April, went kicking and screaming to meet you for this pity meeting, um, <laughs> what, what, what is your background and your perspective in the marketing world coming from P&G? Well, you know, April will call it a pity meeting, but she now calls me, <laughs> she calls me brilliant. So that is, How many um, glasses of true. wine in was she? That's so true. <laughs> I said they were genius one time oh, ever on one topic. Genius. Okay. <laughs> so no, um, April's right. So I have uh, 20 years at P&G. Prior to this life, um, I actually am a mechanical engineer by background. Spent the first 10 years in product development, products research, and uh, packaging, and mm. really like honed in an expertise on helping to identify what consumers want based on interviewing them and being able to to come up with those criteria then to give to the marketers. And then I realized about 10 years in, I was like, you know what? I want to be the marketer that actually is receiving the information so that I can actually execute it in the way that it's intended. And so I moved into um, communications and marketing for my second decade at P&G, working on um, predominantly, um, initially, our corporate program. So our Thank You Mom program for the London 2012 Olympics. I brought our NFL mm. program in and integrated cool. that in. Uh, also, a professional network with a dermatologist for Gillette. So um, got a really great breadth of knowledge from um, all of that experience, but then decided to move into a functional unit and I moved into fabric care and I spent about the last, my last eight years there working on tie, downy bounce, unstoppables, gain, all of those um, awesome brands I know people have in their laundry rooms even today. As I was working on that, you know, it's a really interesting kind of revelation in my last few years that I developed my own role and PNG let me do that, which eventually led to my demise. (laughs) But that's fine. (laughs) I knew I knew what I was doing when I got into it. 
what I realized in, in doing that role was that there's an a, ability to be able to, to go beyond just a basic product benefit to create this emotional connection, which mm. I call a brand love connection that helps brands ex- accelerate big time. So, I mean, if you look at a brand like Tide, I mean, it's been around for over 75 years. I mean, that brand can only exist because it exists in the minds and hearts of consumers in a way that's beyond just the fact that it produces good yeah. laundry detergent, right? So, yeah. um, what I- It's a staple to a home. It's a staple to a home. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it provides an emotional connection because it saves people's clothes and clothes mm-hmm. that mean something to people. And that is an emotional connection that creates value. And in doing that, I was like, hey, you know what? This is something that travels. This is something that transfers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of small, mid-sized businesses don't really understand this element of big brand thinking that they feel like is not for them or it's too expensive or, you yeah. know, maybe when I get to be like mm-hmm. that size. But no, this is for everybody. So I decided to take that on the road, so to speak. And I worked on that for a year and a half and worked on all kinds of clients from small businesses to like just individuals and talent that are trying to develop their own emotional integrity within their brand. But after a year and a half, I was like, you know what, I think I need a partner here. I I need somebody that's going to help me scale this. I specifically wanted a woman partner um, because I thought a dynamic deal of a woman partnership would be like really unique in the marketing world. Mm. And I started searching and luckily this is the, where the five degrees of Kevin Bacon come in, where I um, was meeting <laughs> with somebody that was um, an agency person that I had worked with. And he said, you know, you need to really meet this person who works over here. So I went to go meet with that person. He goes, you know, you really need to be with my wife, who's a marketing kind of person like you. So I went and did that. And she goes, you know, you really need to be April who's doing kind of similar thing that you did. So when I, um, luckily April took the pity meeting because when I reached out to her, (laughs) she took it. And then when we got there and we started talking, I was like, oh, this is my partner. This is my partner. April's like, hold on just a second. (laughs) You're like, wow, we're not even 10 minutes into this meeting. This is our first date. This is our first date. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. She wasn't having anything of it. So I had to woo her a little bit and stuff like that. But so I think actually our next meeting was was lunch. So um, with a whiteboard. (laughs) That was like really fun, but I won her over obviously. And so, yes, now we offer this um, end-to-end offering for our clients, which has been really phenomenal. And just recently we've kind of morphed our, um, the way that we present that, which is uh, we call it coach train do. So it's our way of being able to meet businesses where they are both in their, their scope of what they're thinking about for their business, as well as their experience and their longevity of the business and the amount of money they have to spend so we can coach you, we can train you, or we can actually do the work. So I kind of want to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, what were you guys feeling at this time of like, I'm going to go leave my jobs. I'm yeah. going to go do this on my own. You know, we have a lot of audience members that, you know, probably might be thinking the same thing. So what, like, what, tell us all about that, both Anne and April. So I think for me, I was very pragmatic in the way that I worked through my career. And I don't mean that to say that I knew exactly what I ultimately wanted. I hate when people say that because I don't believe that that's actually true. You can't predict the future, especially when you're like, you know, 12 years into something. But what I mean by that is I was very intentional in learning and doing the next thing and leaving an organization when I felt like what I was putting in, I was no longer getting out. And so I would always identify the next thing that I either wanted to accomplish, learn the type of organization I wanted to work for, whatever it was. And I was a career jumper for sure. In agencies, it's not that unheard of. But when I landed, my last position was at Curiosity Advertising. 
And when I got there, my intention was to try to build what I think Ann and I have actually mastered, which is an end-to-end offering. Because I was so upstream on the branding side of things that we would build out the brand and the intention and what we wanted it to be and be so excited about the work. And it would get to the advertising and communications and PR aspects. And it would be like, how did they get from where we started to here? We've lost, you know, well, in the best case, we've lost half of it. In the worst case, we've lost all of it. And Mm -hmm. it just never felt connected. And so I very intentionally went to Curiosity because they were interested in doing more of that strategy. And I was interested in helping them provide that and also making them smarter, really, to back up into that brand world and build them a practice where we could offer everything from, okay, you want to identify the positioning, the consumer, all of that strategic stuff at the brand level, and then make it work all the way through into the advertising. And they had some big uh, retainer clients that made that possible. And so I worked there for five years. My role was kind of cut in half. I managed half of the accounts. And then I also built them a strategy team. And we had a lot of success. I was super proud of that. But I reached a point where I was like, there's more limitations than there are benefits for me at this point. Mm. I you know, can't bring along 35 people every time we have a new initiative. I feel like I'm being slowed down. And oh, wait, I built this from scratch here. So why not go do that for myself? And so I did give a pretty good amount of notice to your point of that emotional moment of like, am I really going to leave my job? But I was smart about it in that I spent about six months before I even gave notice, really starting to dig into old contacts, reconnect with people, see what was out there in the marketplace, figure out who my potential clients were, type of work, all of that kind of stuff. Such a good tip, though, in general, if you're jumping ship. Yes. I mean, you have to really prepare. You can't just wake up one day and say, I'm quitting, and now I'm going to go do my own thing, and it's going to work. You can. It's not advised. You can. Sure. Yeah. But so there was about six months of overlap. And the last two months was very transparent because I gave my notice and I said I would stay on board for a variety of reasons. They still needed my help. We were pitching a giant client, this and that, but there needed to be flexibility. And so before I met Anne, I had spent a year and a half, I guess, completely on my own. And it was very successful from a financial standpoint. And I was calling all the shots and I was doing all the things that I had envisioned from, you know, pulling in teams pulling freelancers, working with clients that I loved. I had some big clients, you know, it was awesome, but I felt pretty lonely. And Anne knew pretty openly that she wanted a partner. For me, I didn't know necessarily to say it was a partner, but I needed people that would challenge me. And I just wasn't getting that. I was calling all the shots, you know, I was dictating the timelines, the type of work. I was creative director. I was writing copy. I was doing all these things. And I just felt like, how am I going to grow? if I don't have anyone pushing back on me. And so emotionally, I think I was ready to go on my own when it was time because I had prepped a lot and I'm a processor, I prepare, I'm a planner, all those things. But then I got into a position a year and a half in where I was like, I'm bored and lonely and now I really don't know what to do with this. So for Mm. me, those emotions were different, I think, than sometimes what most people experience. I'm going to call a timeout before we hear Anne's version of this. So for the audience and for me, just because I, this whole branding and marketing no. and advertising world's feel, different feel for me. Feel that, Patrick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> tables have turned, Allie. Tables have turned. <laughs> Explain to me, before we dive into Anne's answer, what is like the difference between like an agency and agency type work and then also like the, and what you guys are doing now? But is it just a smaller agency or what's like the true differentiator, I guess? 
So that's a great question. And there are a variety of types of agencies. I grew up more on the brand side, which means that's really the inception, right? So Anne talked about Tide. It's like before Tide exists, what is it? How do we build like everything about it? The logo, the colors, the name, who we're going to target, all that kind of stuff. The story, yeah, there are agencies that focus there. And then there's everything in between from like PR specific to advertising, like I'm going to make your TV spots historically or now your digital content or whatever. And agencies tend to be big and slow moving, right? And that is with intention. If you're going to service a Procter & Gamble, right, and Tide, and the, think about just the amount of packages, communications, countries they're in, events they're associated with, right? Like Anne and I could not ever manage that amount of things. But I think what we have really done a nice job of creating is that kind of next tier for people and the ability to give people that don't think that they can afford, understand, they're not sophisticated enough, whatever the case might be, people like Ann and me that have this big brand, big agency, big corporation experience, we bring that to them and we do it with a very thoughtful approach, I would say, to where we take exactly what Ann said, where they are in the moment. We don't try to put our process, our deliverables, our company on top mm. of them. We really get to know them and then identify exactly what is right for them in whatever moment. And sometimes it's not even branding or advertising. It might be your team is not functioning. And because Ann and I have a collective 35 years of experience, right? We've seen a lot of people situations. So it's like, it might be, hey, you got everything you need here, but your team is not getting along. Or yeah. you are targeting completely the wrong consumer and we need to re-examine that and that's why you're not successful. And so we come in and diagnose, I would say, in a very different way than an agency where historically as a Procter Gamble or whoever, you're like, oh, I need a TV spot. Oh, it's X agency. Oh, we need to do a brand reinvention. It's X agency. And it's more of a transactional. It's more, here's the money and you go do it kind of thing. Got yeah. it. Okay. Is the yeah. agency model dying? <laughs> <laughs> Me and April have that conversation all the time. <laughs> um, you know what? There's always going to be people in the corporations who need the services of what agencies provide. That's never going to change because there's expertise there that's efficient in being able to harden under an agency umbrella, if you want to call mm -hmm. it agency. Although people are starting to shy away from that name and calling it a bunch of different things, but it's all like, you know, tomato, tomato, it's, it's an agency, yeah. right? So there's always going to be that need for that service. It's just at how people provide that service and what efficiency and at what level that that service is provided that continues to change. So for example, the traditional model has been agencies of record, right? Mm -hmm. And so you hire an agency of record, you pay a retainer, you get that agency to provide you services. Well, that's great. But if you're a small business you aren't you getting the team. Yeah, you're not getting you're, the you're, Those are billable hours, yeah. Right, and so like being able to, you know, having to pay for that for people just to sit on your roster that you're not using at that moment, small and mid-sized businesses just can't afford that. And that's what yeah. me and April have like decided that we're just not going to do that. So it's me and April at the core and we hire freelancers and boutique agencies to support us when the work calls for it. So we bring them in when they're needed. So you get the best quality work for the most efficient price because it doesn't have to be expensive in order to get high quality work. So going back to the original question, so how are you feeling and how did you decide 
oh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, build out this like really cool, unique model, you know, you know, your side of things and versus April's. Yeah. So the, the model is, is based in really on that, um, the concept that April brought up was it's an on-demand nature, which is what we saw was the biggest need for small mid-sized businesses. Because as I, I mentioned, is that a lot of small mid-sized businesses just don't see the need for branding and marketing or don't have it integrated into one, their profit and loss statements, which is where it needs to be in because you have to actually intentionally invest, but as well as like, they don't see the benefit of it. And it feels like this big black box, which is, you know, just relegated for people who actually have staff or talent that they devote to that. Right. And so what we're trying to show is that there's a democratization of branding and marketing that everybody mm -hmm. can benefit from these principles and that branding and marketing is actually a philosophy as mm -hmm. much as doing. So you, if you can think with a branding philosophy, that is the, the basis for which you grow your business. And those are the, how we instruct our clients to like change that mindset. So still start thinking from a branding mindset first, and then that directs your decisions and your choices for how that uh, you go forward. Um, and then, then you can define the right people in order to support that. So here's a question for you. When, what have you two learned that you were not expecting or that you wouldn't have known was coming up the pipeline when you decided to start this and when you left more of the corporate world, so to speak? So for me, I think that I missed the coaching and speaking and teaching a lot more than I anticipated. Mm. And it was always a huge part of my role in all the organizations, especially as I reached a senior level. And when in a curiosity specifically, I mean, I managed a team of 14 people. And then if we were talking about the strategy practice, it was bringing along whoever was on the team and helping them grow in their ability to internalize and then do strategic work. And so from the standpoint of what type of work did I not anticipate or what situation did I not anticipate? Number one, I think I was so burnt out on being responsible for that many people that mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much impact it had in my life on a daily basis and how fulfilled I was in being able to, do, to play that role. And so part of that whole thing, right, with feeling lonely and before I met Anne and all of that, I think led us to our own podcast show. The value that that has provided in my life has taken the place of that kind of one-on-one -on -one or team-oriented or being in an organization of 100 people or whatever and the ability to help people learn how to do it. I think a lot of people reach a point in their career where they're like, I'm not fulfilled necessarily doing the work anymore because I've done this however many times, right? Tens of yeah. hundreds of whatever time, but I'd rather be of service to other people. And I think the podcast allows us to do that. And that's also led us to that coaching practice that Ann mentioned before. So I think one of the things we've really uncovered in meeting organizations where they are and truly providing them just what they need is the flexibility and the willingness to teach their people to do marketing and branding work. And I think the agency model to all the points we've made so far is more to come in and we know best, you're going to do it our way, we're going to do it for you. You know, we're the experts in this space, and that's just not the reality for a lot of reasons anymore. But I think our mentality is to take that teaching model, whatever that looks like, and give people value no matter who they are, where they are in the journey, but things that they could take immediately and go in action against. So, with that said, 
you two have pretty much cut the fat and cut the noise of how to work with brands and to approach a business. What would you say is the best advice that you can give a brand to cut through the noise in the digital world we live when it comes to marketing? Yeah, I, I think that it's a really it's a really good question. And it's definitely one that people need to ponder because people's tendencies is to follow somebody else. Yeah. Right. They're like they see a model, they see a benchmark and they're like, hey, if they're doing it, I'm going to go do it. And that's the absolute wrong way to approach everything, because their context, their brand, their consumer, their environment, everything is different for that person. And when you try to follow somebody else or follow another business, you tend to get all clustered into like I call it the, the, the super highway, which then causes a traffic jam. And if you are a small, mid-sized business, you don't necessarily have the money or you know the, the the runway in order to get it through that traffic jam. If you're the PNGs of the world, you do. You just wait it out. You put money against it. You put t- people against it. You put time against it, and you can overcome that. So the the biggest thing that we tell them is like you need to construct your brand from the base up, from the roots up, whatever analogy you want to throw at it. And that is all about getting very, very clear about three fundamental questions about branding, which is who am I, why am I different, and why do you want me? Those are the three most fundamental brand questions that we start with with every single business. And I can tell you from a ton of experience is that 99% of the business we talk to have very generic or very like traditional answers to those and haven't really done the thought process, really understanding who they are like at their core. Like, why are they even here? Like, what did they, why, what's their even purpose for existing why they are different is the fact like, you know, why do somebody going to like want me versus, you know, you know, the other person down the street. And then that also helps to create some differentiation with regards to competitive advantage. Right. And so really differentiating that in terms of something that you can uniquely own, which is always, always, always the emotional benefit. It's always the impact that you're providing on somebody's life, not just the product benefit or the cost of your product or a lot of these like mechanistic things that a lot of businesses gravitate towards. And then why do you want me is how do you bring it to them? Like, how do you then take what you know and how you want to create impact? And how do you create those mechanisms or those brand love vehicles in order to get to people in a way that they're receptive, in the way that they hear you, in the way that they want to engage with you? And that creates a connection that you authentically own and that you can continue to go back to over and over and over again. So when should a company, you know, small, medium size, I'm not thinking super big here, you know, I'm thinking more startups, right? Come to, you know, a group organization like y'all versus, you know, because sometimes I work with, you know, startups and like that's the first thing they want to work with on is marketing and branding. And it's like, okay, maybe we need to like take a step back and focus on the product first, but, and, you know, product market fit, you know, when should they come contact you? Favorite answer always on the podcast is it depends. And I know that's not what you want to hear, (laughs) but that sort of is the case, right? So this is the reason that we have taken on that like three-pronged approach that Anne outlined before Coach Train do is because it really does depend based on the organization. And so what we would say is if you can answer those three questions that Anne just outlined, who am I, why would you want me, and how am I different? Uh, did I say that right, Ian? Sorry. It's wrong order, you, got, you got the question. I did the wrong order. Sorry. I'm always messing up those three questions. Anyway, you should try to answer them on your own and really think about what are you uniquely offering? Because I think that the point Anne made is you don't just want to do me too, right? Like you don't just want to enter a category because it seems like there might be room for you. 
And so I think people get really excited about marketing and branding because it is shiny, it's fun, it's visual, you know, all of those types of things. But I think that um, they have to come with some sense of what they're providing that is unique and different and who they're targeting. And then lean into those companies that can help them. And if they can't answer those questions, but they really do have something unique, then they can come in at that point too, right? Like we don't expect them to be the branding and marketing experts, but what we certainly don't want to do is put lipstick on a pig and take an idea that really isn't solidified and doesn't necessarily, isn't, you know, thought through yet, and then Mm -hmm. go out and market it or brand it just to get it in the marketplace. So I think it's a combined effort and everybody enters at a different point, but really marketing and branding can't be used as a distraction. Well, and I would say to you, Patrick, to answer your question, it's interesting that you say that because I would say most of the businesses come to us too late. So they arbitrarily pick a logo, they arbitrarily pick a name, they arbitrarily pick colors, they arbitrarily pick a story, and then they put it in a market and they get like some response back and they're like, hey, this might be working. But now what? Right. And so then when they go and try to scale it or they try to um, figure out, okay, what do I do with it now? They don't have the basis or the foundation that was actually thought through with enough integrity to actually develop something from there. So they haven't thought through those questions deep enough in order to be able to develop that. And I saw this with that startup a couple of years ago who picked a name just arbitrarily. Right. And they were starting to get some some good traction. So they had some proof of concept. But then they're like, "Uh, we can't trademark the name. You know, and so it's like, okay, Mm. you built this and now you come back and you have to redo it. Well, they picked a name that was like not trademarkable anyway. And so then it's like, well, why would you do that? You know, so it's not that means that you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars at the upfront in order to be able to establish all these things. But you should be mindful in how you're putting it together, because that is going to be the roots of your trees. And you can't grow from that if it's just arbitrarily planted and it's like all over the place. And you just said some really, really interesting things. Now, you have to understand your why and your purpose as a brand going in. Hopefully, you know, again, you're a little buttoned up when it comes back to the trademarks and have you thought those things through. But let's say someone comes to the table, they have a pretty good idea and they're working with you guys, but they don't have a lot of money to spend. How would you advise them? What is that beginning initial step? Well, the first step is always, always, always to think about your consumer. So it always starts with your consumer. What is the tension or the angst that that consumer is feeling with regards to your industry, your, your, your market right now? And then what is the feeling associated with that? And that's the part that a lot of people miss is they don't think about the feeling. They think of a product solution fit, but they don't think of the feeling that this person's feeling. And then you, you want to think about that. Okay. What do you authentically and uniquely provide that's going to provide impact to their life to alleviate that feeling and give them a more pleasurable feeling than what they're feeling. So for example, I'll use Tide, you know, everybody will say, well, yeah, Tide to remove stains. Well, fine. You know, we get that it removes stains, but if you hear somebody talking about Tide, what they'll talk about is the fact that it removes stains from my favorite sweater that I could not live without. That is the emotional impact. That's the you, angst you think that you're about the time they pull out the tide to go stick when you like on uh, your yeah. or something like that, right? <laughs> it's, it's a continue, yeah. That thing, that thing just continued to pay dividends. I'm like, we don't even have to advertise it, you know. When I was at PNG, it just kind of continued to like, you know, pay for itself. But that is the emotional feeling that people will um, it, that creates tangible value that you can command higher prices, you can scale more quickly, you can get more mm. consumers. 
that is the value that you want to tap into. And so when people like think about selling, they a lot of times they think about the price tag on the thing, mm. right? And they, yeah, when, the they, when they think about the thing or the service or what they're providing, mm -hmm. but they're, what they're really selling, what they really like these brands that like have been able to scale, just even based on commoditized products have been able to do is be able to sell that emotion. And that mm. emotion is what creates the incremental value. That's why Thai can be a billion dollar business. Creates brand I mean, loyalty. Yeah. I mean, how, how can a, a laundry detergent be a billion dollar business? I mean, seriously. I mean, but that's only because they created emotional value from their, um, their product that has nothing to do with the benefit itself or saying it gets out a hundred stains or it gets out, you know, it's like the fact that it just delivers in a way where people are feeling emotional connections to the garments that they're wearing. I think that goes back to like cutting to the noise, right? So you're dealing, yep. you're also speaking on the fact that Tide and those big brands, they've been around for years and decades and decades and decades. So we live in a world now, there's pretty much something and a solution for everything, a product for everything. How do you do that starting out? The point that Anne makes, like the reason those big brands get to that level is because they constantly play on that emotional front all of the time. They identify what is the right emotional need. Mm. And then that is their focus from that point forward. Like if we use Nike as another example, okay, giant brand, right? Mm -hmm. But that brand was created to make better running shoes because what was on the market wasn't working. That's mm -hmm. it. But the runners picked up on that it was actually better. And then it became a very emotional thing for them, right? Same thing with Ty. It was like, oh my gosh, my experience is so much better because I have these shoes that actually work. And now their whole platform is that they serve any kind of athlete. And the asterisk is if you have a body, you can be an athlete. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that emotional affinity, right? We make all these products for anybody. But at the end of the day, same as the Tide laundry detergent example, they're selling shoes and t-shirts and gear mm -hmm. for doing sports. Yeah, just do it. So do it. <laughs> with, yes. with that, okay, so you have this, this emotional aspect to your brand. You're starting to figure that out. How do you actually execute it then? Because that comes down to content that, like you said, that comes down to PR, kind of paint a picture for people as to what that might look like. Yeah, that 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 um, starts flowing into more my area. But what where, where it overlaps, where me and April really collaborate on is, is the brand story. The brand story is your why. It's why you're even here. And it's the impact you're going to have on the people that you're serving. Mm -hmm. Getting very, very clear what that brand story is, it becomes the foundation for where everything grows. It's your about me statement on your webpage, which if you look at like pick 10 about me pages, mm. you'll find them very generic of like the service they provide. We provide, you know, quality uh, dry cleaning. We provide like, mm. you know, that, you know, this, this great product. And we all like, we, we will give you a hundred percent, like fantastic service. Like it's all the same stuff. Right. So your brand story is really what defines that that brand uh, answers those brand questions and starts to uh, really identify why you even exist from there. Then you start to asking the questions, well, how am I going to translate this brand story to my consumers? So where is the right place at the right time at the right moment where they're going to be receptive? And that's where we start developing a, a marketing and communications plan. So we start taking that brand story, we develop a message track, which is the communications. And then we align that to the channel for which you're going to execute where your consumer is going to be most receptive. And this is where a lot of uh, brands and businesses get off the rails. Because again, it goes back to that, that um, analogy I was making before is like, 
oh, everybody's got to be on social. No, nobody. I mean, you don't have to be on social. I mean, everybody thinks you have to have a presence on social mm. and you shouldn't actually be on social if you're not going to intentionally create a strategy to be on social because it can be more detrimental actually than beneficial. Mm. Right. And it t- takes up time. It takes up people. It takes money to actually showcase that presence. So you have to really think about where your consumer is, where they can be most receptive to your message within your category and start defining the channels in the communications and the storytellers, mind you, which may not always be the brand, which a lot of people want it to be, but it could be influencers, it could be um, ambassadors, it could be talent that you hire. And you start formulating that into these brand love vehicles that actually then convey who you are to your consumers in a meaningful way. What if somebody doesn't know who their consumer is? Will you assist with that if they, Mm -hmm. if people don't? Yeah. That's really the point of where Anne said we see people get in too late. I think that statement is very strong and extremely accurate because I think marketing and branding, it's a big bucket, Mm. right? And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and it encompasses a lot of different things. And so I think sometimes it gets oversimplified. Sometimes people think just because they can be certain places, they should be there. And really what we're always working against is just like, you know, an engineer like Anne, right? Like Anne's thing is always, I'm going to use your analogy. I'm probably going to screw it up. But basically, <laughs> you know, I, April, wouldn't be like, well, I've seen a spaceship built so I can go build one, right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. And that's not exactly right, but it's close. <laughs> but anyway, it's my favorite analogy. It's my favorite analogy. <laughs> so, like, you wouldn't tend to be a rocket scientist if you really aren't a rocket scientist. But people tend to be marketers all the time, even if they're not marketers. Mm. Yes. So a lot of what we do has to be just as much education as it does on helping them build the tools that they need, because I'll make it really simple. Like sometimes we'll say, hey, do you have a brand? And someone will be like, yes, here's my logo. And we're like, oh, dear God, that's not a brand. You know, we have to back way, way up. And so it's finding the right approach. But to answer your question, I mean, we come in at all different points in time. I mean, just over the past year, we've had a lot of situations where people have technically a brand and I'm putting it in quotes, right? And they might have like a value statement or mission statement. They might have a logo and a couple colors. And so a lot of our job becomes stepping in at that point and saying, okay, but you now need an entire toolkit. And that includes a brand personality, the tone of voice that you speak through, you know, secondary colors, photography choices. Like there's just so many missing pieces. And we've gotten so used to just stepping in wherever people are and saying, the idea is good. But to your point, you don't know who you're targeting or the idea is fine. But how are you different from everybody else? Because right now, you know, you're all selling gym shoes. I don't know where you are. And yeah. so we're that's that's the problem solving piece that I think we do really well and pretty naturally given the fact that we've seen so much stuff is not having them come and dictate I want a website yeah. and then we just do it. It's like okay you want a website but we're missing all these <laughs> things that come before that and are you willing to back up and fill that in because if you're not we're not going to be able to do your website and can you commit to it? Yeah, and we don't. In those instances, we don't. We say, hey, we would love to do your website, but we can't in good faith say that we're going to give you a product that really is going to succeed for you because you don't have the foundation from a branding and marketing perspective to build something that's going to be meaningful and connect with anybody, really. 
So you bring up a good point here too, because you two are spearheading forthright people and you have seen, as you just said, you have seen and experienced a lot in the marketing industry. Um, This is kind of a two-part question here, but the first part being, how has the industry changed over the years? And it kind of also goes back to the agency question, right? The agency life. Um, But when someone wants something executed, part two, how are you two going about that? Yeah, it's interesting question, Ali. And I'll go back to a question actually you um, asked initially, Patrick, which is like, what's the biggest surprise that I've mm. seen in the market? And I would tell you from a coming from a big brand world into this world of um, smaller mid-sized businesses outside my P&G insular life is that there's so much baggage when it comes to branding and marketing. And they've so many people have gotten so it just it's just it's just been rocked by people who just claim that they are branders and marketers but really don't have the training to do it. So I think to answer your question, Ellie, what we're seeing is that people are becoming very specific practitioners of very specific mm. pieces of marketing, like social Instagram the influencer like, game. The influencer yep. game, but not even influencers mm. generally, but influencers like um, we'll do your social, in, you know, your Instagram posts. I mean, or we'll like, you know, um, it, it's, it's so specific mm. that it's it's done in such a silo that it totally ignores the breadth and depth of what a brand can give you. And everything that April has said with regards to the brand logo, color, story, all that stuff, everybody's like, what do I even need that for? It's because you need yeah. consistency. Mm. You need consistency across the channels because no, that lifts your brand, right? Mm. If you're just doing it in silos, what happens is that you get consumed by the noise like you don't have enough like fuel people don't know they they can't connect the pieces if somebody finds you on facebook or they see a tv ad or whatever they're not going to be able to right because it's all over the place right and people need very simple connection points if you make them think too hard they will opt out in less than a second you have to make it very simple for them to recognize hey that's a brand i know and there's triggers to do that whether it's your colors your logo their attention span is so short nowadays, right? Mm. Right. So you have to make it very intuitive. You have to make it very easy for somebody just to recognize it and, and know that it's you. That doesn't mean you can't play on the fringes and try to stretch it. And you're just, once you define it, it's, that's it. It's written in stone. That's not how it is at all. Mm-hmm. But you have to intentionally think about that. And what we're seeing people get really like, just bamboozled by is these companies that come and say, I'm going to give you a million digital impressions. Right. Yeah. And, they, and, every, and I'm like, did you ask how did you ask why? And they don't actually have enough experience um, and, and wow. savviness to actually be able to ask the right questions. And so they get bamboozled and they're like, well, you know, marketing branding doesn't work. No. It, it, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and so they opt out versus like, oh, um, OK, I didn't like proceed with the right process or I didn't maybe in, in, in get the right people to do the right thing here for me. So how do you calculate success for you two? We talk all the time about KPIs, key performance indicators, right? And so whether we're talking about Ann and me and our business specifically or our clients, we make sure that we set those goals based on whatever project we're doing. And so we get really specific and I've learned from Ann that it must be an actual thing you can deliver, right? Like I want to increase our social community by 12% and then it needs to be time bound. So over the next three months or whatever, you know, those things are. And so we're really specific about those goals and we make sure that we check in with them, either Anne and me on behalf of forthright people or for our clients. And we're always testing and learning is the other piece of that. So making sure we're no longer in a world of set it and forget it. 
right? We just aren't. We're we're in a digital space. You can't just put a billboard out there. Too many channels. There's too many channels. Competing against everybody in the digital space. Changes too fast. Yeah, changes too fast. And so I think the combination of setting those goals, but regularly reviewing them and then testing and learning and optimizing as we go through. I mean, success for us is delivering on those goals we set or exceeding them, but also right alongside it, it's being brave enough to let it sit there and work its magic and take the time to do its job or step Mm. in when something's consistently not working and optimize it to do better. And so it's an art and a science for sure together. And success, I think now looks so different in every landscape. And that's why we have to set those goals specific to every situation yeah. versus a blanket statement like Ann said, the million impressions. It's like that doesn't does mean, that mean anything. Yeah. There's no conversion there. There's no promise that you're hitting the right people. There's no even really true indicator that those are real impressions and not bots, you know, whatever those things might be. And so I think goals and then like I said, testing and learning is huge to anything we do. So KPIs, goals, testing, learning, all that stuff is great. I'm just thinking about like the other portion of your business. You say sometimes you get to deal with the team. So how does that, you know, tie in like what, you know, you guys set these goals and then all of a sudden the team's kind of, because the train wrecking, you're doing more management consulting than maybe, you know, branding and PR. So how do you guys deal with that? That's what April had mentioned is that, you know, when she was talking about websites and we won't even execute a website if we don't feel like they have the right principles for in order to execute a quality website, we won't do branding and marketing work if they don't have the right team in order to support it. And sometimes it's doing both. Sometimes it's building both. Like it's like, okay, but we always diagnose it as a total um, you know, a project. So it's not like we're going in silent and say, we're just going to deliver one piece, which is what a lot of the branding and marketing agencies have done. And then you got end up with a lot of pieces that don't even connect is that we go in and say, yeah, we can do this, but we always ask to talk to more of the team, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to know who's, who's in charge, who's the decision makers. Mm-hmm. We ask who is the influencers. We ask who's going to be the squeaky wheels, <laughs> you know? So we want to understand what the team dynamic is so that we can be able to um, cater them. Cause we know like when somebody brings us in, it's like, and we just actually talked about this to a client yesterday. It's like, we know the people that are decision makers want to vet us. You know, they want to vet us mm-hmm. too, right? And so if we don't give them access, then they're going to just be dissenters just by virtue of the fact that they weren't consulted. So we will go in and if it's a team thing, we will identify that from the get-go and say, hey, and we did this actually a year ago and work. We're like, this is not about the work. This is about your team. And that's not something we can solve for you. <laughs> like from the outside in, you need to go solve for this yourself. And we'll give you points and we can coach and we can like chain you how to like solve for that. But you need to solve this team dynamics or you're never going to get the good work that you that you want. It becomes like team, understanding the why, and then you then you kind of start getting into the content creation side of things. So how are you to outsourcing all of that? Because obviously your overhead is low and you've kind of cut the fat. What does that look like when you're working with brands? The way that we've built our model is we have people that are true experts at the individual things that they do but they're not staffed by us on a regular basis. And so we literally tap them in and bring them in as we need them. But Ann and I are really kind of like the glue that holds it all together. So Mm -hmm. we make the decision on who those people are. We make the decision on when to bring them in. We make the decision on the type of work that they can do. And that's where I think those specialties can work appropriately. Mm -hmm. So to Ann's point Mm -hmm. about 
you know, we have a person that's amazing at social. We have a person who's amazing at logo design. We have a person who's amazing at photography, right? We collectively build the strategy and then we bring in that expertise as we need to. And those people then execute that work. And the client never feels any repercussion because they're getting the quality work from a professional Mm-hmm. but they're not having to deal with, oh my gosh, I'm paying for 12 people in a meeting. And really the only person I need to talk to is Anne or April at this point. Right. Yeah. So we eliminate all of that and we could never do all the work that we have. Right. But we're also really transparent about this model with our clients and saying, you have access to anybody that works on our team. Some people want to yeah. tap in and they want to know Kevin, our web guy. <laughs> and some are like, You know what? I don't care. Just get me the website. And so we manage it based on their preferences and also our team's experience. And we put all of that together to make sure the work gets done. So, and with that said, whether it's a website, videos, photography, and you kind of made this comment before about, well, you know, is social media the be all end all, but you also hear a lot of times like content is king. How important is content in the marketing world that we live in and how are you able to work with brands to successfully deliver them that repetitive content that they need? Yeah, content is definitely key. So we don't disagree with that whatsoever. And we've actually talked on a podcast episode about this. It's what kind of content and where does the content live? So for example, what we talk to um, a lot of businesses, especially small businesses who are trying to build reputation and credibility, Their content is in developing thought leadership based content that's going to allow them to be that that could be white papers, it could be presentations, it could be um, learning modules, it could be all kinds of different things that allows them to raise their reputation within their industry as being the go to person for whatever that industry is that is one kind of content. Then there's like advertising, marketing, selling content, which is a little bit more like specific to a product or a brand. That's defined again by what we were talking about, by that that trilogy of like being able to reach your consumer in the right place at the right time with the right message. And Mm -hmm. then the fourth part of that was with the right storyteller. So that requires intentional thinking about how you're going to develop content in order to reach them. If they are looking for your product on Instagram and they want influencer content, you better not be like trying to reach them on Facebook with your brand posts. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you have to be really intentional in that. Or it's like we call like you're trying to shoot at a dartboard with your with a blindfold on. It's like it may hit and sometimes you get lucky, but then but consistently it doesn't and your money runs out before you've actually seen results. So it's really about being intentional about what the motivation is for the content and what you're actually trying to achieve for the business. Yeah, in order to be able to develop what the con- the right content strategy is behind that, and then people also have to realize that you know this isn't a one and done thing. We talk about mm-hmm. this a lot. Is like if you want to be on YouTube, if you that is an investment. That's an investment in. <laughs> Money nope. because you have to change the video. <laughs> I mean, you had to do a, a, a no. ton of SEO. You have to do a ton of like, I mean, it, it is an investment. And people are just like, um, yeah, I want to post a video on YouTube. I'm like, and you wanted to do what? Oh, I wanted to go viral. I'm like, do you know how to, yeah, do you know how to shoot, edit, produce? <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, we have the best person on the planet <laughs> to help us do our video. Who's that? Wow. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder who that is. <laughs> 
she may or may not be on this call. But you make such a valid point because I bring up that content question because I'm really speaking from experience in that sense of I hear all the time. I'm like, oh, I want to be on YouTube and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I'm like, I do this for a living right now and I'm still not even on YouTube. It is a way bigger undertaking than people realize and creating that brand identity. It's, it's a task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not good enough to be there anymore. I mean, you can't just show up and just be like, well, I'm here, everybody. Why doesn't everybody love me and like me and want to be with me? You know, yeah. it's like you have to cultivate it. And that takes intentionality. That takes a strategy that takes consistency. I mean, even this on our podcast, we've talked about that. I'm like putting out podcasts once king. a week. Yes. I mean, it's it's so critically important and it can't just be random and it can't just be like what you decide today that you want to put out there. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all part of a marketing strategy that's super critical in order to grow your brand and your business. I kind of want to do a deep dive on, you know, what kind of clients are you guys attracting? Obviously, you can't tell us specifics. I totally get that. But, you know, would love to, you know, understand, like, who's coming to you? Is it international companies? Is it just local? Like, give us a little uh, mm. taste of what you've been working on. Again, it depends. And <laughs> April, I'm done with you. I love that, I love that answer. <laughs> but it, I mean, I think that there is, there, sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason, right? So I'll give you an example. Last year, we had a lot of med spa clients. I don't know I'm why sure that some was. of that too is word of mouth as well, right? So if you get one or two yes. in an industry, then it starts to snowball and they'll say, well, you know, fourth right people, they did a great job. You should go check them out. Yes. And look at it this way. It's a way for them to do the stuff that they never get to. Right. That and so if they really believe that they're going to be able to make it when it opens back up, then they're going to have to do all the things that we've talked about. Right. Differentiate, target the right people, have messaging out there on a consistent basis, all of that kind of stuff. And so we had a couple clients that were here in Cincinnati. We had a, someone in New Jersey. We had someone in Virginia. I mean, it was just, it was really random. And then I had had a previous experiencing, experience working on a med spot really in depth, like two years before. I, you know, we don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know why that was, right? And our clients tend to really be all over the board. So from a coaching standpoint, we get individuals, we get teams, we get organizations that want us to coach an entire team. The industries, you know, like for a while I was doing a lot of staffing stuff, even before I met Anne, staffing agencies. And and I think the, the really beautiful thing, though, about what we can do is that our experience translates and we really strive not to be industry specific or size of business specific. And yes, we're targeting a certain type of person, but it's more from a psychographic, like you're a good fit for the way Ann and I believe that work should be done and the business should be run. It's less about the type of business because if Ann and I are doing the best job we possibly can, it's translating all the stuff that we've seen over the years, no matter the type of business and being able to solve their challenges. I had a client, and this is the best quote ever and Ann's heard this like a million times, but actually it was the med spa from a couple of years ago. And he made the reference of like, April, I know this much, like, you know, an inch pinching his fingers, right? About this much and top to bottom, you know, it's really, really, there's a lot of depth there. And he's like, you know, actually this much about this much spreading the horizon, Mm. right? 
And so the reason that we're really great for our clients is that they know their businesses in and out. They live it every day. There's no way we could ever tackle that amount of knowledge or experience or whatever in those businesses. But what we can do is be an outside resource that has seen a breadth and depth of industry, size of industry, parts of the world, all of those types of things and bring all of that to them. And then add that to what they know and provide a richer experience, especially, again, given the fact that we're all competing against everybody in a digital space now. Now, are you seeing people specifically seek y'all out because you're in Cincinnati? I mean, a lot of, you know, I think, what is it, more agencies, marketing and branding agencies per capita than any other city in the world. So are people coming here for that? Oh, that's interesting. I think that's the first time I've actually heard that stat. I think there is definitely a a locality thing and that we actually cater to that as well. I mean, we love our city. We know that, you know, you have the big companies here, the GEs and the PNGs of the world. We, We also know that it feels very much them versus us in that capacity, right? So, I mean, it totally just jazzes us up to be able to go to a startup and and get them to see the potential that's in their business as a result of just very simple branding and marketing exercises that they Mm -hmm. didn't even consider because they are, as you had said before, Patrick, so focused on the product. They're so focused on, you know, the the P&Ls. They're so focused on these things that are just like so tangible Mm -hmm. to their business that they don't even have sometimes a mind space to think beyond that. And so when we can see them like, oh my Those God. light bulb moments. I mean, we didn't even that's consider cool. that. That's like, you know, a success that actually, you know, even aside from the KPIs just totally gets us so excited is when we see people see potential in their businesses that they didn't even see before. And so that's what we're seeing a lot in the Cincinnati-based business because it is becoming a hotbed for a lot of startups. It's becoming mm-hmm. a hotbed for VCs. It's becoming, you know, a hotbed for small and mid-sized businesses. And but they, even though they have like, you know, P&G and stuff like that in their backyard, you can't learn by osmosis. So we could consider ourselves like the conduit in order to like to get there so they can get that big brand thinking and apply it to their business because the principles are the same. I mean, that's like the, the mind blowing thing. It's like, we're not like reinventing the wheel every time we go to a new business. I mean, the principles are exactly the same. The thing that defines it and, and really cultivates it is the environment. Mm your consumer, in the context, and your marketplace. I mean, those are the things that kind of contextualize it in. And that's where we work very close with the client to help make sure that it is the right fit for what they want mm-hmm. to go do. But the principles are the same. Your communicators at the end of the day, and especially in the marketing world, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, it's, it's really funneling that focus and funneling that message down down to the wire. So uh, my, my last question, just because we don't want to keep you too much longer, is where do you see the future of marketing going? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we're always going to be asked to do more with less, mm-hmm. right? And for Anne and me, that approach is working smarter and not harder. And that's mm-hmm. the niche that we have really carved out for ourselves and where I think we're successful. I think at first, we had a little bit of a hot pill battle where people were like, we can't afford you. You're too experienced for what we need, you know, and so we were hearing a lot of that pushback. And now I think we address it pretty head on, right? Like we're here because we want to work with you because we don't want to work with the big guys anymore. But I think that fragmentation, honestly, and that I think that's where the agencies are really getting squeezed mm-hmm. to your earlier question, yeah. Allie, of like what's going to happen. Uh, I see them heading more into a production house type model, if you will, 
where they're just making the stuff. They're not necessarily doing the thinking. They're not getting the big retainer accounts anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not being able to just sit on these budgets because the whole world is getting smarter and consumers Mm -hmm. are getting smarter and our clients are consumers and people are seeing that there's the ability to do stuff with less now more than ever before. And so I think those of us that are going to survive in the branding and marketing space and then really thrive are going to be ahead of the curve constantly instead of sitting back and saying, well, P&G is always going to need me, right? For the same reason. And so I'm just going to keep taking that work and put my head in the sand. And that's an extreme. Yeah. Yeah. But they could change their internal structure too. You never know. They do. They do. They do a lot. The agencies will tell you right now. I can tell Mm -hmm. you in Cincinnati that they're suffering the results of that. But I think we're just like any other business and we have to continue to anticipate and pivot and change. And I think the entrepreneurial nature of this city now more than ever before with the startups and everything else we've talked about is shifting the mindset. And I think those of us that get excited by that will do great because we love it and we love the challenges. And unfortunately that's going to mean some of the big guys and some of the ones that aren't going to change are going to go away. So where do you see forthright people specifically, you know, what is it? Five, 10 years down the line, where do you guys see yourselves? Oh my, you know what? We just pivoted to this coach train do mindset. And we believe that that's really where we're going to uh, focus for uh, a, a while. We also believe that the podcast has a lot of value And so we're going to be extending and building upon that podcast. And I'm not going to share yet, but keep an (laughs) eye out. But we're building upon that podcast and creating something we think is going to be pretty remarkable to especially cater to the small and mid-sized businesses, even especially the small and maybe even like the startup businesses that don't actually have as much money in order to be able to um, get started. So it it provides even another entry point for businesses. So we're going to concentrate on that. But as me and April say, is like we don't try to get too far out ahead of ourselves because things are constantly changing. So we yeah. always try and mm-hmm. try to maintain some flexibility and some nimbleness in the way that we're creating to our clients. Because if we go static and our clients are in, you know, in, in the environment around us continues to move, then we've lost the uh, the battle. But I will say that until you know there's not a person on the other side of the sale, you're still going to be branding and marketing. I mean, even that as digital and as socially inclined as our environment has gotten, there's still a person on the other side of that yeah. sale. As long as there is a person on the other side of the sale, you're going to need brand and marketing because you're going to need to create that brand love connection in order for your brands to continue to, to grow and thrive. Brand love connection. I love that. That's I a great note that. to end on. And to our audience met- members, go check out their podcast, Marketing Smarts uh, by Forthright People. Yes. I know you can just go on their website, but probably any any podcast player, correct? Yep. All podcast players. Yep. So definitely go download their episodes. And April, Anne, we really appreciate you taking the time today. It was our pleasure. Awesome. Brands love. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was a really insightful conversation, not only for, you know, entrepreneurs and, you know, Mm. mom and pop shops, but also just from their hearing their story and, you know, their own experience. Uh, They're great. I think this is exciting too, because you kind of made that comment. This is exciting for you as well. Just this being new territory for you. This so is, what was, yeah, what this was is, your, yeah. What was your biggest takeaway? This well, is my territory. This is, this is Ali's territory now. <laughs> um, so definitely like, I just find it fascinating. Like, yeah. you know, there is a whole bunch more to 
like a company's like brand presence. They, um, you think, I know when we were starting this podcast, you kind of like taught me a lot of this. So (laughs) thank you. Um, and and I think it's constantly (laughs) changing and learning myself. Right. Right. And I think, you know, just hearing, you know, very surface level of what they do, right. Is there's a lot more to it. Like I was really kind of impressed that like, the team is taken into account that they work with and that they like, they even consult on that. Not many, you know, marketing ad agencies, you know, take that into account. They just take the check and run with it. Whereas they're like, here's your logo. And -hmm. so they really take into account like, Hey, like you have it, like you want this brand, but it doesn't match the team. Like that doesn't, Mm -hmm. you're you're not going to be successful. That's the beauty behind both of their experiences, right? April Mm. coming from the agency side and, and coming from the larger P and G corporate side, they really make a very unique duo. Yeah. And I think the takeaway there just, you know, if you don't go to, you know, a company for your branding and stuff, if you're just doing this, like, back of paper napkin kind of stuff take into account like your own personal brand and who on who's on your team and like there's a lot more to it than just what you want to exude out into the universe it kind of a little bit even goes back to our last podcast talking about accountability right Mm -hmm. taking a little bit of that self-accountability if you're starting a brand really take a step back and funnel that focus of your message. What is it that you want people to think? What is it that you want people to feel? And really touched on that, which I absolutely love because it's not so tangible, but you know when you have a brand or a product that you love and think about that. Why do you Mm -hmm. love that brand and why do you love that product? And that's that experience that they're trying to make. And they have the, you know, 20, 30 plus years of experience combined to help guide. And my ultimate favorite part, and I always have this conversations with friends who are in the media marketing world. Where is it? Where is it going? Where is it going? Where is it going? Because coming from the background of agency world, working with April at one point in time, you know, at Curiosity to print publication at City Beat to working at a traditional news outlet, right? And mm-hmm. all very diff, all very different to now podcasting and being just online on social media. There are so many different outlets and so many different channels. And it is more important now than ever, if you are a brand, to know where your audience is or at least try to figure it out. Out as best as you can, whether it's working with someone like April and Ann, mm-hmm. and throw stuff. What stuck with me is you have to throw stuff at the wall sometimes and see what sticks. You have to throw stuff at the wall, but mm-hmm. also be cognizant. Like, yeah. what, was, what was the analogy? Well, it was like, your overarching uh, your overarching brand, yes. Yeah. But when it comes to actually like pre- getting that emotional connection, mm-hmm. you you may have to try some different strategies. Definitely, definitely to get that ROI. What was that analogy that I, I loved about the rocket ship? The, the rocket, rocket ship. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're going. We're following April's footsteps, and we need you again. <laughs> but is it, I think people, ro- <laughs> people see a rocket scientist and then they think they're a rocket scientist, and it's like no know your brand (laughs) don't try to copy and then you know like you said test things out and see what resonates with your audience and who you're working with and you know Ali I would like to just get your take on like do you think the agency world is dead great question so via my experience I have to say when I got into the agency world I saw the need for video production. Mm. And we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet, but I actually pitched to Curiosity Advertising, 
hire me because you have clients that are looking for video. Hmm. This needs to be in house because I saw how I saw that push in content. Mm-hmm. So to agree, I agree with what April was said before that they are going to probably become more production houses. And I think that brands will then take the strategy more in-house. So I don't think agencies will ever go away, but I think they're going to be more production houses as well, rather than as much strategy. Got it. Now, where do you think marketing is going? (laughs) I think actually April and Anne are doing it right because you're dealing with people who are freelancers all over the world, right? And if you find a specific photographer or a specific graphic designer and they're in Arkansas or Wisconsin or whatever, it doesn't matter. Tip in this digital world that we live in, you can work with any of those people because of technology. You can hop on a Zoom call. You can, yeah, or you can go and fly and see them. I mean, I personally have friends who are working in the agency world that during the pandemic, they were traveling and they went to Hawaii. And they packed up the whole family and they were able to still do their job there. So you don't necessarily have to be present and in the office to work in a creative environment. And you're from the physical content, I think you'll see production houses. I think you'll see the strategy go internally within a business and and a company. And I think as content creators and people who have the ability to kind of have that own entrepreneurial mindset, there will still be a plethora and a bed of freelancers. freelancers. And also the influencer game is extremely impactful for brands because brands need that emotional connection via influencers who have already created their own audience. Got it. Now to wrap it up, and summarize it all, as April says. So yes. it really depends. <laughs> yeah, I know. Darn it, I went full circle. I know. It's just there's more, again, there's more channels, there's more outlets, and it's find your audience, know your message. Mic drop. Boom. On that note. Cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Ali Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the up company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.